Women Strong Women Talk is a YM Power podcast proudly produced by Our Block Community Studio. WSWT was born when two friends decided that enough was enough. Like the world at large, we found ourselves going through a major shift in what we wanted to say and what we've been given the space to say historically. I'm Ness and I'm the CEO and founder of YM Power Australia a youth mentoring advocacy service geared towards connecting young people with knowledge, opportunities and each other. I'm Tallulah. I am a social science student by day and a hard-working hospital worker by night. I love cake, activism and the colour yellow. When strong women talk, anything is possible and the shroud that currently surrounds us is lifted. We talk all things sex, politics, gender, spirituality and leading from friendship and compassion. We're so glad that you could join us. We would like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present, future and emerging and anyone who's listening to our podcast today. Maggie in a glass, Maggie in a glass, Maggie drinking from a glass because we turned her water bowl off. <laughs> Maggie's face stuffed down a glass because... We turned her water bowl She's off. so fancy that she can't drink from something that's not filtered, but she'll stick her face in a glass. I love it. I'm so obsessed with it. You get it. You get that water. <laughs> this episode contains content warnings. Please be advised that if there is anything relating to consent, sexual assault, or abuse that triggers you, that this episode talks a bit about it. Thank you. Welcome to episode three of When Strong Women Talk. We're so pleased that you're joining us today uh, from our living room with our heavily insulated aquarium and the water bowl that belongs to our cat that we've turned off. We learned from last time. Thank you for bearing with us. So today we're going to be talking about man films versus chick flicks. Why Mm -hmm. do they exist? Mm -hmm. Um, and then we're also going to be talking about the new uh, consent video that was released by the Department of Education today, which really, really missed the mark. Truly. Truly. Didn't even see the mark. <laughs> Just, like, a hundred yards away from it. Well, brings us to the first point. All the sports references? Yeah. Interesting. Dangerous as well. Mm. Like, the the field model they used, where they're literally talking about a sports field, and they have the end zone, the maybe zone, and then the action zone, Mm. and, like, no is obviously an end zone, I don't know is in the maybe zone, and yes is in the action zone. It, you know what it reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of, like, bases. Yeah. People are like, I want to get to third base I want a home run like why yeah I didn't know what they were I had to look it up on Urban Dictionary when I first heard about them (laughs) I didn't know that's so fair though because no one really I feel like it's baseball is an inherently American thing Mm. but for some reason like we've decided to sort of translate that into our own Australian version where I think maybe the men that were designing this program were like I want to tie my two interests together like women and the NRL. (laughs) 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 But, like, it's just so dangerous in that if it's, like the saying says, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. Yeah. And someone saying, I don't know, literally means... No. Yeah, it means that they have not decided on either. 
And I feel like the, the way that they've tried to, like, purvey that is by saying that everybody's in the maybe zone until a decision is made. But, like, it, it just would be better praxis to make young people understand that no is no. Mm. And I was doing a little bit of a deep dive on their website. So if y'all are interested, um, you can go to this website yourself, not giving it a spruik or anything, but I just Googled The Good Society, which in and of itself I found quite patronizing. Oh, yeah. Because it kind of makes a mockery of, like, I think what a lot of people are trying to create, Mm -hmm. which is a good society. But in this context, like, the way that they've used cartoons, the way that they've used, like, comical inferences for the way that people interact with one another I think it's quite much a caricature of what a good society could look like and I think it could also sell the wrong idea to people who are already anti-good society um, which is you know kind of like part of the biggest problem that we face at the moment is that there's an entire group of people in our society and in Australian like in the Australian political climate that just don't believe that there's a problem to be solved in the first place. Yeah. So this immediately says to them, like, this is what we get when, you know, when we have left-wing people going for the hills. Um, so I had a bit of a deep dive of their website. And if you jump on to teachers and you go through to, um, what is the good society? The only thing that it really says about it is a resource for teaching respectful relationships, a new resource um, that is engaging, flexible, and online that helps students in all year levels develop safe, healthy, and respectful relationships with all content linking directly to the Australian curriculum, which, let's be honest, has its issues in and of itself. Um, but it's part of the Australian Government's Respect Matters program. The program was funded as part of the 2015 Women's Safety Package with the aim of changing the attitudes of young people towards violence, including domestic, family, and sexual violence. So, like, no one can deny that those aims are honourable and that they're a good, um, you know, outlet in which to, you know, entertain an initiative like this. But I think the way that they've gone about it is probably not the best way. Um, and apparently, didn't they pull the video? Uh, they pulled most of the videos just because they had such backlash. And, like, for one, it's so dated. It has, like, 50s, sometimes 80s, sometimes, like... Subtext. Subtext, yeah. And, um, and like, imagery and fashion in it as well. Like, aesthetic. It's really odd. And I don't understand why they chose to do that. I honestly believe that it's to play on, like, harking back to the nostalgia that a lot of older teachers and older adults might feel towards how relationships and, like, society was conducted back then when you didn't really have to have discussions like these. Mm. Which I think is quite interesting in and of itself and something that we should definitely explore a little bit more because I don't think that the way that we conduct sexual or how we have ever conducted sexual education or consent education has been relevant to the age group that's have that have been coming up i agree and i think that's because old people and no offense to old people but adults generally don't ask young people what they want to know before developing a curriculum based on something that they think they need to know Mm. um and i think that kind of like talking down to your audience is something that's very prevalent in this um good society stuff yeah um and like whilst i commend the praxis behind it i think you know you've lost half of your audience just by being really 
condescending. And just plain dumb. Yeah. Like, I think they've actually made it harder for themselves. Like, learning about consent is not hard. It's not a hard issue to understand. Majority of people out there get it. But it is a conversation we need to have. But to be like, if someone is not 100% there, is not 100% ready to go and doing this with you, then it's a fucking no and back off. Like, that's not a hard issue. And to take in milkshakes and tacos and, like, like sport into it is just making it so much more confusing than necessary. Mm. Like you said, the graphics had little a little man giving a taco to a king. Yeah. Like, what is that? It made no sense. Whatsoever. Who is the king in this situation? What is the taco? Is it a vagina? That's what I mean. Like, I don't... Sometimes I think metaphor use is good, especially in, in something like this, because it is sometimes a sc- like obviously a scary conversation to have, and so sometimes people like to familiarise themselves with things. I don't see an issue with that. But using a taco when everyone knows that that is slang and sort of a symbol for vagina, vagina, yeah, it's just not right. I think it's also, like, we've gotten beyond the point where we need to describe things in euphemisms because children very clearly have access to the internet. Mm. The internet is usually unfettered with whatever they want to find if they Google search it. Mm. They know what a vagina is. They know what a penis is. And I think we should be, you know, really speaking to children rather than down to them about things like this instead of using euphemisms. Like, maybe consent is like putting your milkshake on someone's face. Like, I just can't believe that they spent $3.8 million on it. That much money. Yeah. Oh, my God, I got shivers. That's horrible. That's taxpayers' money. Yeah. And they're like... That's fucked. <laughs> Sorry, I just really realised that just then. Yeah. Fuck me. Yeah, it's obscene. And I, I just, I don't think it is that big of a deal to start using frank language with children about what their bits are. Well, like I was saying to you the other day, like, we really should be using anatomical, like, an- anatomically correct words for our body parts with children so that they feel autonomy enough to be able to speak about it in every single situation. Like in a health situation, in a situation where, God forbid, they do have to talk to police about something that's happened to them. Or, sorry, trigger warning for this episode, I guess. Um, And, yeah, like we need to have, we need to get a, like we need to just speak to kids like they, like any other person. That's right. We don't need to dumb it down. I I need to find it. Just put it in words that they can understand. Yeah, and I need to find it, but there is a book. I'm not sure necessarily what it's called, but I saw it, um, and it was pretty cool. It was like a book about um, two parents trying to explain to their children what having sex was like. Mm. Um, And, yeah, it was like kind of like almost like garish detail. Yeah. Like, it was talking about you put your penis in here, and then once you reach a certain point, the penis feels tingly, and then it squirts out this white liquid called semen. (laughs) And, like, that information is just stuff that, like, kids naturally, they ask questions about, they want to know about. And I know you were telling that story about how you were in primary school and you asked your mum what that might be. Yeah. And, like, the best practice in that situation is to be honest and to have that discussion. Because if you make it feel like you can't talk to your children about this stuff. They're going to go to the internet. Yeah. And they're going to go to their friends. And the internet and their friends don't have the best information. Mm. Or they start feeling bad about themselves. Mm. 
Like I know that that happens a lot with with women when it comes to periods. They legitimately think they're dying if you don't. Well, because like you're bleeding. Like blood usually equals pain and not good things. And so if you don't explain these things to people, how, like how else are they gonna understand? And so yeah, I um. I did ask mum about semen one time. I was like, does white stuff come out of boys' parts? <laughs> and she explained it to me. Not in too much information. Not in information that I didn't, didn't, need, to ne- didn't need to know yet. Yeah. And I remember being, like, happy that she answered, but still even more questions. I was like, but why would that happen? Why would you want that to happen? Is it painful? And she was like... That's enough for now. <laughs> Some great lines of questioning, Tallulah. <laughs> and I, I get it. Like, sex speak and, spe- like, education is very uncomfortable. Mm. Um, particularly, I imagine, for parents who can't necessarily imagine the people that they made engaging in that activity in the first place. But I think that's something that you need to fundamentally acknowledge and recognize in the first place is that those people are going to engage in those behaviors, whether or not they decided to come from your body or not. Um, and I think you can either be on board with it and you can be part of the discussion and part of that communication and part of that journey and that process and that learning, or you can be the parent that gets left in the dark about everything. And you can be the parent that's last to know about everything. And Mm. like, I think I know which one I'd rather be personally. Yeah. Um, and if that means I have to be a little bit uncomfortable, then I'll do it. So be it. I'll be uncomfortable. Yeah. But I think, you know, I went to a Catholic girls' school. Shout out Bethany College. <laughs> but we had zero sex education. We had, let's talk about the multitude of sexual diseases that you can get instead of actual safe sex. And, like, let me tell you, many of us were having sex at the time. Mm-hmm. And we needed that information desperately. We didn't have it. So, you know, it's just about, I think it's less about protecting the sensibilities of adult educators and parents and making sure that children and young adults are adequately equipped with what they need for where they're going to be at. Like, I don't care if you're uncomfortable. I need that information. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I remember when we first started sex ed, we talked in like immense detail about pregnancy where we hadn't even gotten, like we hadn't even talked about like puberty yet. We hadn't even talked about, periods yet and I was in year six and I remember a lot of girls were starting to get their period around then and or like in like years coming after that and um they didn't even touch on it and I'm like if would that not be information that those people need at that time Mm -hmm. you'd think that you'd touch on pregnancy later it's not that big of a deal absolutely and but like talk about what's happening to the kids at the time so they're not scared and then talk about things that will be fitting for them to know Mm. And I think we we spoke about it in the last episode about how Healthy Harold would have been so much more useful in high school than it was in primary school for the same amount of things. But in saying that as well, like, I guess it's that same discomfort that adults and, like, adult teachers and parents have towards those taboo subjects that led them to put a giraffe on their hand. (laughs) So they didn't have to have the conversation themselves. And, like, I love Healthy Harold. I'm not knocking it at all. But also, like, understanding that it also is a problem, probably a conduit for not having a difficult conversation is very interesting in and of itself. But I think we're in 2021, like, we're in the peak of having 
difficult conversations. I think this is very topical because it's coming right off the back of all the controversy with the Australian government and the way that they treat staffers um, and the way that they treat women that work in the Australian Parliament whilst they hold everyone else to a higher standard than they actually are able to compete with. Um, And I think it's very topical that they've decided to release this in the face of that. I think it makes it somewhat worse because it really truly shows the deep ineptitude and the deep lack of understanding behind the actual praxis behind the issue. Mm. Um, And, yeah, I think I'm concerned. Yeah. (laughs) And I think your mum's concerned too. Yeah, my mum messaged me before. I asked her if I could read some of what she said because she was actually the one that told me about this whole, like, milkshake video in the first Yeah, and when we went to go find it, we couldn't find it anyway because I pulled it. Yeah, but we ended up because the ABC was just like, here. And I was like, cool, (laughs) thanks, great. I'm glad someone saved this. Um, So mum was... I had just said to her, I was like, the tacos is is also a horrible patronising way of explaining rape because they talk about... They sort of allude to rape in one of the videos by using a taco in the place of an actual woman... Um, and mum replies to that and says, sort of disgusting. He put the wrinkled tissue back on the plate after he ate the taco in the way that was super creepy. And the whole point was to, was to suggest that men should actually see women as human beings when in a world. Laughing that the taco may have wanted to go to uni and eating it ruined its life. Referring to ruining a woman's life through rape. And asking everyone to guffaw that the boy is gay. Or maybe he just wants to live in the inner city and be a lifestyle coach. Ha ha ha. Um, who knows? Who cares? It's funny. She says, disgusting. I'm livid. That's so fair. And I mean, for those of you who haven't seen the videos, you should DM us and we'll mm. send you a link to the article if you want um, a reference for what we're talking about. Um, but yeah, it's pretty shocking stuff, to be honest. And It I, reads as a piss take. I can't believe adults came up with that, to be honest. Yeah. Because, like, I've been to so many youth consultations in my day. I've participated in so many. And, like, the ideas that come out of the mouths of, like, 20-year-olds are far more eloquent and more insightful and more poignant than I think this entire campaign, like, could ever imagine being which is very, very stressful for me because they got paid so much money and we're out here, like, without a budget, running out of my own pocket, just doing the best that we can out of my apartment on top of a sushi shop. And these guys get $3 million to do this! It just makes me mad. I get real mad. Yeah, no, I get that. It's just, it is incredibly dangerous to be talking about stuff like that in that way. Mm. Like, because then people who do essay people or who are rapists I'm going to use it for what I'm going to say the word for what it is um they're going to like think it's fine mm. because they're like it's oh but you were milkshake. yeah you were in the maybe zone yeah and also I think someone pointed this out to us as well but it's very interesting that they use the female in that position as well yeah of like enforcing the other person to have milkshake on their face which was so weird I don't understand how that's a metaphor for for not consent but they just like so for context for those of you that didn't watch it one of these videos has this female uh, actress smearing some white like white milkshake semen looking stuff yeah all over this poor guy's face and then she's like putting like little crunchy like cereal on top of it as well and I'm just like what does this mean like what kind of like pseudo capitalistic like 
dystopian dream are we in right now when this is like, like you should play that music that we played like Law and Order Law and Order at zero times five speed with that <laughs> clip dream. I'm gonna make it for our Instagram because you that should. it's like literally the dystopian reality that we're living in right now where that's like consent education it's insane yeah why why was it a female as well but then also why something white like that it reads as semen to me yeah but then the woman's doing it to the man yeah and it was just you know completely unreasonable um if you're gonna do something with live actors make it realistic and like you know well, you know that that video about like like offering someone tea, you yeah, know, the consent. We tea? love consent tea. That's so well done. Yes, they use a metaphor in that, but it works so eloquently because it's and like a metaphor that keeps on giving. Yeah, and they didn't like fucking pour three million dollars into it. Yeah, and everyone uses it. It's great. There's an explicit version. I love it. Like we will, that's how you do it. We will link it in our next Instagram post. As yeah, well, for those of you who want to. Watch consent tea. It's good. Like it, but it's that's what I'm saying. Like consent is such an easy thing to wrap your head around that that video just gets it so right. Yeah, and it is sad, but that we have to teach this lesson if it is so simple. But obviously, we live in the patriarchy. There are a lot of things against that, and that can make that happen. But when you get right down to it, it's a simple fucking thing to understand. That's right. And, yeah, I like the way that he just talks about it. He's like, if someone is unconscious, don't offer them tea. Don't pour tea down their throat. Don't pour tea down their throat. (laughs) It's so simple, so eloquently simple, that I think that's the only instance where a metaphor would ever be acceptable. Yeah, they did so well. But they went so meta with this one. They were just like, let's, you know, like, the taco is this, and, like, the smoothie is this, and, like, you know... We gotta do this. The only thing I have to say that I did like. Let me find it. Oh, yeah. There was one thing. One thing out of all of it that I liked. And that was their page page 12 and page... No, just page 12. <laughs> I was, like, giving them more pages than they deserved. <laughs> um, page 12 of their document... Um, where it's like talking about the field model that they're introducing, which I think is, you know, very sportsy, very, um, probably not the most appropriate model. Um, but the, it's called stepping in and it says, if you see a person moving the line on someone, you have the opportunity to step in and help. And this is something that I talk a lot about. Um, and I think people don't talk enough about, Mm. so I'm really glad that they did include this. Um, it says step one, check in. Um, step two, disrupt. Step three, recruit. Step four, go back to step one, which is checking in. Um, and I think just having that, I feel like it doesn't redeem what has happened, but I think it has made me feel like maybe there is some hope for it. Um, just because, yeah, I think that sort of um, stepping in when you see something going wrong is something that I think a lot of us are more than happy to sort of just stay on our phones and avoid drama. Yeah. Um, which is very fair because, like, drama is difficult. Um, but I do like that there's an actual page about it. And I think that's very um, helpful. Yeah, it was. That was a. There's also a video where they talk about that as well, yeah. and that was good. Yeah, there was still some weird, icky, strange yeah. decisions in that video. It wasn't the greatest, like, but I was like, I do like the idea that is like the collective responsibility 
to stop things when you see them happening. Yeah. Which I'm very happy about. And I like it. It says, step two, disrupt. Stepping in doesn't have to be dramatic or confrontational. Often simple and subtle disruptions can be enough to break the dynamic that is playing out. Focus less on challenging the abuser and more on protecting the person that is being abused. Yeah. Well, it's like when people say that every woman knows someone who has been sexually assaulted or has been sexually harassed, um, but no man knows someone who has done something like that. And it's like, these are your friends. Do the your, your, like, school colleagues. Chums. Your, yes, school chums. Your work colleagues. Like, yeah, the maths just don't make sense. And it makes my brain hurt. It's like, how can you not... If they're saying that this was a man that did this to them, and you have... Majority of your friends are male. I think, yeah. <laughs> it just hurts fair. my brain. It's so fair. I think as well, like on that, there is more of a prevalence happening now where men are sort of starting to step up to the plate mm. and call each other out a bit more. And I appreciate that. I see it and I appreciate it. So if you're doing it, please keep doing it. It's very, very well received. Yeah. But also, it's kind of just like stock standard behavior. Like you should do it every day. Yeah. If you see it. In saying that as well, I feel like I want to come back to this campaign thing because um, the step two disrupt reminded me of something that I had seen earlier. But this whole um, this whole campaign as well is targeting abuse as well. Yeah. Um, which I have a bit of an interesting thought on just because abuse is such a big issue that I feel like it kind of deserves its own campaign. Um, and I feel kind of like they've lumped it in here um, as like a secondary to consent. Like, yes, there are elements of consent that operate quite widely within abuse, mm. but also abuse is a whole other can of worms. And I yeah. think, you know, it's high time, especially now, for people who are in abusive relationships to see content about abuse, especially given how many people suffer from it. It's so pervasive and it's so subtle. So... Mm. I think it's kind of not doing that justice. Yeah. Um, not doing the people that need those resources justice. Um, and for $3.6 million, I think you can do a lot more than what this has done. Yeah. Well, um, I remember a couple of years back they did the Stop It At The Start campaign. That was brilliant. That was amazing. They didn't shy away from the actual issues of abuse like that. And I just wish that they continued it longer. Mm. I wish that they'd... Um, added to it maybe they had depictions of all different kinds of people in all different kinds of situations and they had it very realistically like they had a woman um, like a young woman at a party um, and a guy takes a photo of her like breasts and like one of the guy's friends sees that and then like they had another one where um, like a little boy pushes a little girl and the mum says, oh, like, he must like you. And then they flash forward and the boy is then pushing his partner. Yeah. And it was, and it's like, stop it at the start. Mm. Like, perfect. Good content. It was brilliantly done. But it was not when ScoMo was in. Mm. And I think that's interesting to note. Mm. Um, But I think that they should just continue with that. That was amazing. Mm. Don't fix it or don't ruin it if it ain't broke exactly you know just keep doing what you know works 
Yeah. Look up Scott at Stop It at the Start. It was actually amazing. Yeah. I feel like we're going to link a few things yeah. to our next post. Because, yeah, like, I'm going to stop here for a second. Yeah, when you're having these discussions, it's important to check in not only with the people around you that you know have gone through similar things, um, but also with yourself as well. And understand that your boundaries, um, you know, are firmly placed within your, your realm of being able to have the discussion as well. So if you need to check out, check out. That's completely fair. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's just an important discussion for us to have um, considering, you know, who we are. Um, where we've been and the political climate at the moment which is very volatile towards women it's just like a real slap in the face to have all of that happen and then then have this out yeah like how about some real meaningful actual change first of all Mm -hmm. how about an actual campaign that doesn't insult young people (laughs) like how about we just get over the little discomfort that we have with saying penis and vagina and just get on with it. Like, there are such bigger issues for us to be, like, you know, working through at the moment. Like, Mm. actual sexual assault legislation and things that protect survivors. And instead we're here fucking around with this like... I don't even know what to call it. It reads as a piss take. It does. It reads as, like, like I did read a tweet about someone being like, did Borat write this? Well, the Good Society, I, on their website, I tried to find out as much as I could about who was running it. The only thing that I could find was that it was funded by the Department of Education in in the Australian government. Mm. And it's almost as if no one really wanted to put their name to that. And I think that's really telling in and of itself. Because if you have an initiative that's supposed to be doing good for people, Mm. there are people who would want to put up their hand and say, hey... I did this, I'm proud that I was able to do this and create change for people in this way, right? That's how I feel about wine power, and that's how this should have necessarily, like, if it was an actual thing that was meant to be good for people, there would have been a team of people behind it who were like, yes, I will put my hand up for this. Mm. But it's almost as if they knew that they were going to cop shit for it, and it's almost as if they knew that it wasn't going to be as helpful as they thought it might have been, and so they were like, I don't want to put my name to that. Yeah. Which in and of itself is cowardly. Yeah, for sure. Call it for what it is. We kind of live in a world full of cowards. Yeah. Welcome back. We. Oh, yeah. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We had to take a little break because that was quite heavy at the end there, but we're back. Yeah. We're going to be talking about man films versus chick flicks. Man films. Man films. <laughs> and I, I typed in chick flicks on Google and it came up straight away with like chick flicks on Wikipedia and all these chick flicks and it was just very obvious. And then I typed in man films and it just came up with films with man in the title and there's a lot. Well, you know, like according to the world, right, there's chick flicks and then there's just regular movies. <laughs> Right? Just normal movies. Yeah. Normal people movies. The women are the crazy ones here. (laughs) (laughs) So, let's get right into it. So, chick flicks. The definition. Yeah, the definition. Generally, a chick flick is a film designed to have an innate appeal to women. Typically young women. Um, So, that's usually um, implying frivolity, alertlessness... I didn't even know that was a word. And utter commercialism. 
So true. Um, some frequent elements include having a female protagonist, thematic use of the color pink, romance and or dating based storylines, and Jerry Bruckheimer, I don't know who that is, he's a longtime producer, has remarked about the plots How Do You Cope with Money and Love? Which is just so gross. <laughs> but also like there's so much there that you can say is coming from a very privileged point of view. Yeah. Because like one usually white. Almost always white. Um two almost always um upper middle class because they have money. Mm. Um and three they are usually able-bodied, usually cisgender, usually straight. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, boring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes they throw in a little bit of spicy mental illness, but <laughs> usually not. Usually they're, like, very privileged person. What was that movie that you wanted me to watch? The one with Live Blakely? Live Blakely? Live Blake... Blake Lively! <laughs> <laughs> I like that, that, though. <laughs> I like that though, live Blakely. If anyone who is listening to this knows me at all, you will know that I know nothing about celebrities and I constantly bang my head against the wall because I'm surrounded by people who know things about celebrities. That's so good. That normal people don't know. That's so good. But yeah, it I I really like um the film this with movie Live Blakely. With Live Blakely <laughs> and Kendrick Anna. <laughs> <laughs> um, she has two fake first names. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, th- I really like this movie that they're both in called A Simple Favor. Okay. But it is about two white women, two very mm. privileged white women. But in it, they do subvert a lot of gender stereotypes and right. gender like stories. It's actually a very interesting movie. Yeah. But I do take your point that it's two white women living their best little like white lady life yeah I just yeah I I think I've definitely done my time in like the white film realm and I've watched pretty much almost all of the white film and I'm I'm not impressed and I'm kind of bored by it so whenever I see a person of colour on screen I'm like oh my god I think I might cry (laughs) um because it just feels so rare but every time it happens it's so treasured for me that I'm like wow an experience other than white people is being demonstrated. Yeah. And that means a lot to me sometimes. And that's why I kind of don't really watch television or um, movies anymore. Like, the television show that I'm currently on, there's two that I'm currently on at the moment. We just finished Steven Universe for the third time. If you haven't met me, you also don't know that I'm inherently obsessed with Steven Universe. It's like an all-female cartoon cast, and there's a lot of colour, and it's great, even though some of the colours are, like, pink and like green people, <laughs> and but a lot of a it's lot more of diversity than well, a lot of POC like, yeah voice actors, right? That's right. Estelle is the voice of Garnet. She's kind of amazing. And whenever I listen to Estelle's music, I'm like, no, this is Garnet. Like, <laughs> True. Um, and the other TV show that we're watching at the moment is called Fresh Off the Boat. And whilst it can be a little bit stereotypical sometimes, it's also very refreshing to see Asian people on the screen. Um, in a non, like, book nerd um, kind of way, which I True. really appreciate. Because I definitely was not a book nerd Asian. I was, like, the opposite of that. Bad math Asian. 
<laughs> but um, some examples, well, I was just using those examples as non-white films, but some examples of white chick flicks include um, 10 Things I Hate About You, a classic. Never seen it. Um, wow. That's shocking. I know it is, and I really want to watch it because I love Heath Ledger, but like... Maybe, maybe I'll watch it with you. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Um, a Cinderella Story, Legally Blonde, 13 Going on 30, Clueless, Bridesmaids, Confessions of a Shopaholic, love that The Wedding Planner, P.S. I Love You, She's the Man, I like She's the Man a lot. It's good. The Notebook, Easy A, I like Easy A. Easy A is so one of my favourite movies. Some of them are really good, and I feel like the ones that are good are the ones that were released in the last, like, five years, five to ten years. Yeah. Um, but the ones that are before that, like, the thousands in the early 2000s, kind of missed the mark a little bit for me. True. I love, I still really, truly love Mean Girls, though. Mm. Mean Girls was good. This is true, but I tried to watch it with some of my friends more recently, and I put it on, and then I immediately regretted putting it on. Why? Because it just, like, felt really difficult for me to watch. <laughs> I mean, it's very dated now. Yeah. Like, truly dated. And, um, but I think it was good for what it did. Mm. That's fair. Yeah. That's so fair. And, um, I feel like there's a lot more that I want to talk about when it comes to well, what films do. But I think it's interesting that, like, so, like movies like that that have a woman lead... Like, if, if a movie has a woman lead, it has to all of a sudden be a chick flick. Like, men can't watch movies with women leads. Mm. Like, is that what you're trying to say to us? Well, it also speaks to the idea that if the woman is not pretty, like, men have even less patience for it. Yeah. Because, you know... Men women don't, don't owe you pretty! They don't. You bought that book today! I did. I, I bought a book called Women Don't Owe You Pretty. And it's true. We it's don't. True. We're human beings, and human beings don't have to be good to look at all of the time it's true there's more to it um russian social scientist natalia rumashevskaya says that gender stereotypes further perpetuated by film and the media could lead to discrimination against women and limit their human and intellectual potential which i absolutely preach natalia um and i think that's why sometimes i struggle a lot with chick flicks mm. is because sometimes women in those films are portrayed as less than intelligent true um and they're like pigeonholed into like wife mother sister bridesmaid shopaholic and i'm like there's so much more to that like talk about female entrepreneurs talk about female engineers talk about you know female firefighters like put stories in there that will inspire young girls to do better yeah, or, like, if they start out as being smart or, like, somewhat accomplished in some area other than the home life, um, they have to be, like, sort of knocked down a peg when they meet a man. Yeah. Like, The Proposal, I love that movie. Even though it's not necessarily a chick flick, it's more a rom-com. And as we read just before, rom-coms sort of pull in men as well. Mm. I mean, it has Ryan Reynolds in it, and so men will watch it for him, I guess. But... In that movie, she's so accomplished. She's at the peak of her career. And then she falls in love with him rather begrudgingly, though. Um, But then has to be, like, knocked down a peg because she meets his family. And he's like, I must be a housewife now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's... You don't. (laughs) And, like, additionally, I think this ties very neatly into our previous discussion about consent and about um, abuse as well. Because I think it's 
you know, it's not that many steps away from what we see in media and how women are portrayed into what is accepted as the cultural norm of how we can treat women. Mm. And I think that if we are having a discussion around consent education and around abuse education as well, we should also be having a discussion around the types of media that we consume, um, what effect that has on our brains and our perceptions of each Mm. other, especially in the society that we currently live in. Um, So I think... um, it's very topical that today we were going to be talking about chick flicks and men films anyway. Um, and then we decided to add on um, the stuff about the ad that the government released today. So mm. I think, you know, good on us for that. Um, but I think more broadly, I'd like it more to be like a, an important footnote to this discussion. Like the reason why we're having it is because it is so tied to that sort of stuff. Yeah. And yeah, have a big problem with it. Yeah. And, like, even though they're called chick flicks, a lot of them don't, like, pass the Bechdel test. Which is fucked. Like, if you have a mate, like, a woman lead, and that movie, it doesn't pass the Bechdel test, then that's just so plain wrong. You're creating a a female character that's literally just there to fall in love with a man or to be someone to a man. Mm. Like, that's so wrong. Like, that just shows that none of these female characters are written as complex human beings. Because if you... If no one... For people who don't know, the Bechdel test is a feminist measurement for movies that says, um, it ha- like, for it to be feminist, it has to pass three, I think, three measurements, where, one, there's a, like, two named female characters, and those two female characters have a conversation without anybody else and without a man present about something other than a man. Mm. And that sounds so simple to have, but you'd be surprised as to how many movies don't pass that, even when they're meant to be a a movie about a woman. Mm. Like, it blows my mind. True. When you're meant to be depicting, like, a woman's life... And she, and you depict her having friends with other women mm. who are also named. But then they all they do is talk about guys. Like, come on. I mean, keeping in mind as well, like a lot of these films are written by men. True. Um, a lot of them are like cast, produced. Like the monetary influence of where these films are created are created by men. Mm. And I think they would want to create movies that fit the agenda of where they see society benefiting them the most mm-hmm. and I think that is in where where in which we don't see women as people and that's something that I think that generally speaking if most movies don't meet the Bechdel test it is unsurprising to me because of the way that we currently function as a society and the way that women currently face oppression because you know the odds are stacked against us and media is stacked against us and films are stacked against us. It's why I don't really watch TV and film that much anymore unless it's something that I really, really love mm. because I know either way that there's some ulterior agenda behind the movie that I'm watching. So I think there is space for more women-led movies, um, more women-directed, produced, created written movies um but i think there's a lot of space for us to do better in that place and i think at the moment we're not meeting that yeah well in no way was i ever surprised but i it is really mind-boggling when you do read the movies that 
don't pass it. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, because media is so homogenous and so, like, monocultural, um, when you watch them, you sometimes forget or don't pick up on it because you're, like, so used to movies and TV shows that they show us now. Mm. But you don't pick up on, oh, there's actually not a complex female character in here. Um, or, oh, like, this, like, doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Like, sometimes it is tiring to constantly be analysing it. But as someone who always analyses shit, and I say that, that's big. Mm. I mean, I probably have a little bit of a different lens here because I'm not white. Mm. But, yeah, everything I watch is with the lens. Um, because I'm analysing as to how many people look like me are on the screen. Mm. I'm analysing as to what kind of content the people are saying as well about people like me. Um, and most of it is not great. So I think, you know, not really wanting to is kind of like easier, I suppose, for a lot of people. Because then we would have to have a bigger, broader discussion about the root problems behind that. And I understand that would probably be a, like kind of a difficult thing to do. Um, but yeah, people do it. I do it. No, that's what I'm saying. I don't really enjoy cinema or film that much anymore because I just, like, I can't really go to the cinema without being like, "Mm, no. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I try to see all of the different lenses in a movie, but it's tiring. And it's very hard to do it all of the time. And I think, and I, I am speaking, obviously, from a point of privilege, um, but it is... I think for a lot of people very hard to do that all of the time. That's true, but if we don't, like, what's the alternative? Just more of it. Yeah. But it's... I think think a lot of people, and I don't hold this view, but I think a lot of people believe that um, what can they kind of do, you know? I think there's a lot, especially with something like cinema, Mm. because you have your position as a ticket buyer and holder and reviewer, and enjoy of film. Yeah. Oh, no, I agree. In no way am I saying this is my perspective, but because I have actually gotten into many arguments about, especially Fifty Shades of Grey, when that came out, I was very against it. Um, when Game of Thrones came out, I was very against it um, for their depictions of abuse against women. Um, and, yeah, I, like, the amount of arguments I got into into with people where they said but like it doesn't matter like movies don't matter and in so many ways do I disagree with that movies do matter this like the information and the media that we consume affects us even if you think it doesn't affect us it does so I and I've just heard it constantly that people are like um but what can we do to change that and I've I've turned around and said similar things of being like but you supporting it is supporting it but like I don't know like there were, um, like I understand how like Game of Thrones and um, what's the other one that you said Fifty Shades Fifty Shades like yes bad for women um, but in saying that like there are a lot of like I hate to be nitpicky about it but yeah there are a lot of other like movies and films that are like not just bad for white women and I'm not saying that you're not like broaching on those Hmm. but it's like it's interesting to analyze that those are the ones that you pointed out 
It was just, it was just that I was more surrounded by that constantly at the time. Yeah, which is fair. But I mean, like, I guess my hope is that people will be more outraged about other things, you know? Um, Like, yes, Fifty Shades was not great. I don't know, it's not the hill I want to die on, but it's just also, like, I think it's something that we can continuously work on. If a film is bad against women, yes, we should be mad about it, but also we should also be mad when, like, it's not great with POC or, like, Mm. you know, other folk. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah. But the, yeah, the reason I was so against those two was because everyone was talking about them, and Mm. that's what I was constantly hearing. And, like, just for the podcast, I'll explain my, my, like, quickly my point of view on those. Um, Fifty Shades, in no way am I against the BDSM community, Um, but it was a very, very poor um perspective of a very marginalized community like that um in that it didn't sh- like obviously it showed a relationship of abuse which a lot of BDSM people aren't actually abusive they're rather loving to each other and they support each other afterwards um so that was a big one and then it also just made it seem that like that relationship was what women should expect in a relationship with a man which is just completely wrong and then my issue with Game of Thrones was and I if people know me I've probably had this conversation with you already but um, even though he the author of the books was inspired by history and medieval times it is not a history non-fiction fiction um, in no way is it and so the constant depictions of rape and the constant depictions of, like, abuse was a, like, conscious choice. Mm. And it just constantly, nearly every single episode depicts some woman um, being abused or being raped. Mm. Or even just being essayed in some way. Mm. And, like, no one was realising that. Everyone mm. just took it as, oh, it's because it's medieval. Mm. No, it's, it, it's a fantasy. He can consciously make these choices about a world that he's creating, and he didn't. Yeah. And that was my issue, that everyone was, like, gobbling it up, and I was like, that's dangerous to watch. It is. It is. But I think it can't exist without a broader critique about, like, the system that we currently operate in mm-hmm. as well, because I think the stories that we tell through film and through media um, and through television are very much reminiscent of the values and ethos that we hold as a society. Mm. So that stuff wouldn't be okay to be depicted if it wasn't necessarily something that was excused on a broader societal scale, right? Mm. So I think it's about, you know, I think you definitely did the right thing, standing up where you feel uncomfortable, um, but also calling out other harmful stereotypes as well in that space as well. Um, And, like, when multiple people understand the value that, like, seeing gross violence can have on a human mind like I think that's something that we inherently need to look at as well because we're so desensitized to violence in and of itself that you know seeing someone's head get chopped off is not that big of a deal Mm. when in reality if we were to see that in person that would be a different case altogether you'd be traumatized you'd have PTSD yeah so I think there's a certain desensitivity that occurs with film and with television that we're currently like too okay with Mm. um and I think that starts with women, but it doesn't stop there. 
Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it goes so extensively, especially to the way that, like, Asian women are portrayed in film, for example, like, especially military films. Like, we could go into that, but that would just be Like, the fetishization. But then you see how, like, massacres occur in, like, the US towards people of that identity. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it really gives you, like, a picturesque... (laughs) Picturesque. It really gives you a portrayal into how the film affects the psyche... Mm. and the ideas that can form in a human mind. And film has been used for eons, and for ages, eons, (laughs) um, to influence people's minds and people's hearts. And you see that with, like, Gone with the Wind, for example, and the way that it's, like, inspired confederacy in America. Like, there is so much that is pervasive about film, and I think it starts with violence, Mm. um, and I think it ends with violence. Yeah. Because that's what we're inspired to believe is okay. And, yeah. That in um, sociology is called the hypodermic needle model. There you go. But I, I have issues with the hypodermic needle model because I don't think that it's necessarily as simple as what you see is what you do. Um, what is, for those of us that don't do sociology... <laughs> it just means that, like, um, it... Like, what you... Like, media is basically being injected into your brain. Right. And so, um, like, monkey see, monkey do. And it's what a lot of people talk about with, like, graphic video games. Um, And how a lot of... Like, that can encourage, like, um, shootings and stuff. And I agree up to a point. I think that it is also about the person's then response as well because the hypodermic needle model like leaves out the person's response Mm. um and sort of depicts people as sort of a robot in that they just read information and then enact that in their lives whereas I think that there is space for people to analyse and then to respond in a way that suits them but I mean, if what they see suits them, then I guess it works. That's fair. Um, in saying that as well, researchers at Columbia University um, have shown that watching violent programs or engaging in violent um, video games can cause parts of your brains that suppress aggressive behaviours to become less active. Huh. So, um, yeah, I was basically, basically just trying to look up the neurological impact of watching violence. Uh, because I truly do believe that the more that you are exposed to it, the more that it warps your brain. Yeah. Well, like we talked about this in the first podcast about how I love horror and I'm still watching American Horror Story. And like, I yeah, I do agree to a point that I do think that there is a desensitization. But I think that to then say it makes killers, I'm not sure. Probably not makes killers, but also probably contributes to the cocktail fuckery that creates them. Mm. And I think um, there's a lot to be said for not necessarily going out there and performing acts of violence on other people, but you may begin to perform acts of violence internally towards yourself. You know, like saying harmful words to yourself or imagining, like... I like sometimes I get like really intrusive thoughts where I like do really violent things to myself in my brain. Like people mm. do that sometimes, and I yeah. think 
that's something that is made okay through media like that that provokes violence in that medium because it it is unkindness on screen yeah and like the more that you expose yourself to a certain amount of things the more that your brain really internalizes that and like creates a a narrative for yourself in and of that but i like when i'm watching horror i the reason i like it so much is because i find it so interesting Mm. Because I come, like, I was about to say not to not to brag or not to, like, speak about myself, but I don't think this is necessarily bragging, but I am a kind person. And so watching unkindness, I don't understand it. Mm. And so I find it quite interesting to get behind the lens of somebody, like, who would do that. Mm. And so that's why I love that kind of stuff and, like, the adrenaline rush it gives me and stuff. But... That's why I love crime as well. Like, I don't... I want to, like, understand the motives of these people. Um, And so I, like... I know that I am watching Unkindness, but I know that that's not me. That's fair. So I try and detach in that way. But is detaching what makes it okay? I don't know. Because I feel like as a collective, the human psyche has somewhat detached. Mm. And that's why this content exists in the first place. I don't know. I don't know. I just really find it interesting. Mm. And I do think... And that's that's why I have an issue with the hypodermic needle, needle model. Because, like, I do think that you can think your way out of these things. And, but I, and I think that... I guess it comes down to, like, nature versus nurture as well, right? If you're already being nurtured in an unkind space to believe unkind things, and then you watch it on media, it would most likely encourage said unkind behaviour. But I mean that works in the opposite way in that there have been serial killers that have grown up in completely stable homes too. Yeah, the nature versus nurture. But there's also like a lot of people say that um, psychopaths like that are like they have a chemical imbalance. That's true. But again like going back to it I guess like I think it's something that we might try to think ourselves out of but I think thinking ourselves into it is what got us here in the first place. And I think that if we were to f- perhaps feel ourselves out of it, that would probably make more sense. Because, you know, obviously thinking has got us this far to the point where we're able to detach from violence on screen. Mm. Whereas if we were to think, maybe let's stop thinking mm. and let's start feeling through it, would we maybe just start a discussion about how seeing those things might make you genuinely feel on the inside? And I think that's something to be broader, like broadly spoken about in terms of the way that we are allowed to express and speak about our feelings in general mm. and the way that we're able to process them as a collective and as individuals. Um, and I think that if we were to watch something like that, like, yes, you do get an adrenaline rush, but what is left over after that adrenaline rush? Like, does your mind feel heavy? Like, what are you feeling when you're done watching acts of violence or unkindness on screen? You know? Like, what is the leftover feeling once the adrenaline's passed? I don't know. It kind of depends. Like, um... I watched two episodes of 
American Horror Story cult before I came out here to make dinner and I was a little bit shaken by it and I don't know whether that's because that season talked a lot about like realistic um and like in reality um acts of violence mm. whereas like even though I do believe in the supernatural it's not necessarily like it, a supernatural event is rather rare right whereas this one is about things that literally A have happened mm. and B could happen especially in a place like America and so it was it was actually quite like it kind of disturbed me but again I'm still intrigued that's fair but I mean that's what traditional like media within a capitalistic context is designed to do right is to keep you hooked so you come back for the next fix Mm. so in analysing like just briefly what you said to me you said you felt shook yeah like disturbed disturbed you said something shaken. Mm. You said you felt shaken. Like, is that something that follows you through when it's like non? Like, just say like chopping of heads in a very very gruesome way, where you see every blood vessel and you see every atom mm. being ripped off someone's neck. Mm. Like, how does that make you feel? Oh well, I I mean, again, I think it depends on the situation. Yeah, but that like all that contextual stuff, that's thinking through it, right? Yeah, that's not feeling through it. Yeah. Because I think we're taught to ignore our emotions a lot of the time, right? And detach. Mm. And that's not necessarily healthy for you as an individual or for the collective psyche. That's true, but I do think that, like... Um, like, I'm not saying you can't enjoy them. No, 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 yeah, yeah. Um, I just think that, like, we've also gotten to a point that the world is in so much pain now that I think being able to, f- like feel every single thing would be way too overwhelming and so I do think you have to sometimes be selective well I mean if the whole collective is thinking that then obviously it will be too much right Mm. because we're not wanting to tackle it as an individual of course not it's terrifying the whole collective psyche of pain and everything that everybody has ever bad experienced that's too much for one person to handle yeah. But if every one single individual is saying that's too much and is unaware of the fact that they exist within a collective, within a community mm. that could be fronting that together, then you just have little switched off turned like light bulbs that refuse to help each other. True. You know? And it's easier to be detached because it's comfortable, but it's not necessarily the way that we're ever going to evolve as a human race. Mm. Just some food for thought. <laughs> No, I know. I, I, it's very interesting. Yeah. I don't know the answer, though, because I have... I always used to feel everything, and I got to a point where I was like, I can't fucking do that anymore. It's too painful. Mm. And I remember when we had the 2019 into 2020 fires, and um, I was crying every single day. Yeah. And I just realised... I couldn't do that anymore. Yeah. Which is so fair. Like, I'm not saying that you have to. Yeah. But I mean, like, feeling with boundaries and vulnerability with boundaries is probably the best way to go about it, to be honest. Because, like, you're not going to solve the world's problems or anybody's problems, or even your own problems, by just, like, only feeling. I think it has to be a balance. Mm. But I think what we're currently seeing is an overactive, egoic mind within the human psyche, where we're just sort of detaching ourselves from anything because it's too hard or too uncomfortable and I guess it's kind of like also what produced 
the Department of Education's video as well, because that's clearly something that they overthought themselves into. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think there's a lot of space for us to sort of look at that and like analyze it a little bit and then become a little bit more self-aware as a human race, right? Where we're like, maybe watching these things or seeing these things is something that they've used to detach us from each other, from the broader human collective experience. Um, and yeah, it's just unconscious, you know? But I also think we shouldn't wrap our minds in cotton wool as well. Like we should, um, like, what do you mean by that? I think that we should be able to watch the dark parts of life. Yeah. Like I think media portrayal of, of badness is not necessarily bad. What do you mean by media? Do you mean like news outlets or do you mean film? I think, well, both. I think I think news has a, a, an almost a duty responsibility to show you the bad things in life as well. Yeah, and I mean journalism always has a place in that, right? Yeah, um, but then I think there's a there's something to be said for watching bad things on like movies and TV shows. I think it has to be done well, um, and it shouldn't be like gratuitous, gratuitous. Probably, I, I think the word that you're thinking of, the word that I'm thinking of in my brain is self-indulgent. Yeah. Where it's, like, violence for the sake of violence. Yeah. I think it has to be, because, like, I think understanding how life can be bad is necessary, I think. Yeah. And telling hard stories is necessary. Um, and then trying to understand how someone could do something like that, I think, is also has its place. I would agree with you, but would you not think that we've done that to a great extent already? There's just does so that... many stories out there. You yeah, know? but I mean, like, does it not already somewhat exist in the, in the big, broader sense? Like, humanity is one of the only races that has been able to create such ugliness and such violence towards each other and itself, basically, mm. and to other species as well. Like we're the only ones that have committed, like, mass murder on huge scales and, like, global extinction events. Like, it's huge. But I feel like none of that is really getting through, even though we're exposed to it all the time. So what's not working mm -hmm. is immediately where my solutions-orientated brain is at at the moment. I'm like, currently where we're at is there's no stopping or influx, less of an influx of violent content in our lives, right? Why doesn't anyone care about it, though? Mm. because we've been desensitized to it it's just another thing on the news and it's just another movie that we get to watch people getting blown to smithereens in a country that we don't know how to pronounce and we don't know where it is mm. so yeah I think it's probably not good to wrap people in cotton wool but I think we're also at a stage where like I don't think that's possible anymore yeah and I think that's also probably related not why but related to the very 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 high rates of suicide and you know horrible mental health and loneliness that we feel because we're so disconnected from one another and we're consuming this content that just makes us believe that we are disconnected and that human life doesn't matter mm. god that was heavy true um <laughs> I feel like we didn't even really get to chat about man, man films. 
but I'm gonna do it anyway because I had a I had a really think big thing that I just wanted to say. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is my only comment on man films, and I'm happy. <laughs> but like Tom Cruise was not the last samurai. Daniel Day Lewis was not the last Moakin. Can we stop? <laughs> Can we stop with these random ideas that white dudes were the last of any other POC like race at all? Because it just makes me mad. Um, and it's another reason why I just I can't do films sometimes. It's <laughs> like you're stupid. <laughs> but who thought? Ah, yes, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, the last ever. Ah, yes, Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, dude flip, dude, dude. I just had a strong call the bondulance. <laughs> um, but yeah, dude films. I hope I gave you some good food for thought, though. No, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just love films, and I just love horror. I know you do. I know you do. I know, which is why I think it's important that you and I have this discussion anyway. Mm. Because, like, you can still enjoy it, but you can still have that, like, nagging thought in the back of your mind that's like, why do I enjoy it? What about this brings me joy? You know? Marie Kondo, the things that don't. True. True. Because yeah, like it honestly, like after the adrenaline, what's left? Yeah, I don't know. I've never really thought about it. Have a think about it, and then the next time you watch it, like analyze your feelings. Maybe journal me tonight. Journal about it. But yeah, like it has been also shown that like watching content like that can have an effect on your mental health as well, and make you more anxious. Which I know you've been saying that you feel a little bit more anxious lately. Hmm. So, just like get in tune with your body, get in tune with your feelings, get in tune with your your highest being, and just be like finger on the pulse. What's going on? Yeah, but that's my life. that's like. Then we'll save this for a mental health podcast episode. But like, that's the crux of my like actual issues with my mental health, is that I um, know how I feel, but I don't know what made me feel that way. And that's what my therapist is always incredibly frustrated with me about because I'm like, I feel anxious. And she's like, what made you feel that way? And I'm like, I have no clue because I'm so, I obviously have gotten to a point where I'm like trying to protect myself from those thoughts as well, that I've just ignored them altogether. Mm. And like, that's not helpful in that I can't then help myself from one, avoiding situations that make me feel like that or two, like actually tackling the issue mm. if I don't know what made me feel that way then how can I fix myself that's true I mean like I suppose you can take some comfort in knowing that you know most young people in this day and age also feel a sense of anxiety but they're not quite sure where it generally came from true and I feel like it's a combination of many many things Mm. but one of them is that we're facing like a very big existential threat like climate change and like you know the global demise of all of our global species um and then we also like worry about things like social media and our phone shout out to isma fourth of may event everybody come Mm -hmm. along but like (laughs) the erosion of our sense of self our sense of being and our sense of each other is you know eroded by screens Mm. whether that be film whether that be social media whatever the medium it is there to remove ourselves from each other. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, that anxiety is 
a range of things because we're missing a range of things, right? We're missing community. We're missing connectedness. We're missing the ability to be seen and to be heard in a meaningful way. We're missing so many things. And I think, you know, the start to that is reaching out and like saying to someone that you need help with that, which is good because you've done so with your therapist, Mm. but also maybe just convey to her that like, yeah, it might just be like a young people existential anxiety because it's something that a lot of people face. I face it myself as well, where I'm like, wow, I am running out of time for the change that I want to create in this world. Um, and then I'm like, well, time is fake. <laughs> um, and yeah, so there's uh, so much packed into that. But also understanding that the only way that we can ever grow to be able to fix any of these global problems that we're facing at the moment is to fix our internal worlds. Yeah. Because we've been hurt so vastly by our, our rich experiences. inner worlds. Yeah. <laughs> a reference if you watch the fucked up milkshake videos. But the only way we can fix global problems is if we work on what's in here and what's broken in here. Yeah. You know? And that's really important. I want that to really resonate with a lot of people because, you know, we have some curly monsters in here and there's curly ones out there, but we can't face those ones until we face the ones inside. Mm. So can't do two things at once yes if you want to heal the world you must first heal yourself yeah because then you can help other people yeah well we tackled a lot of things a lot of issues a lot of heavy stuff stuff. we talked we went on many tangents but i am actually funnily enough doing like one of my final assignments for my actual entire degree on this kind of stuff on man films versus chick flicks um so we most likely will talk about this again at a later date because I'm doing a survey about whether movies contribute to the creation of gender identity especially the creation of masculinity in young people Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'm going to be conducting a survey with young people between ages of 18 and 27 about characters and like the characters they associate themselves with Mm. and then their own gender identity if they're willing to say it'll be anonymous and everything but um yeah so i will give you my findings i love that um i also think this is a discussion that just needs to continue happening into the future so i'm so here for it yeah um and also if you were like maybe interested in doing a lens on violence yeah i mean i feel like that'd fit into the action movie Trope. Conversation yeah. and the creation of masculinity. Uh huh. Uh huh. And we could use that to design a program. Yeah. Okay. All those findings. Yeah. Cross your fingers for an HD. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to episode three of When Strong Women Talk. We really appreciate all of your support and for sticking through it for this long. Um, We hope we've been entertaining. (laughs) Yeah, this was an interesting one. It was. Lots to think about. Yeah, and a lot of things that we couldn't actually answer ourselves. But we are ponderers. Ponderers? Yeah, we think a lot. We have lots of questions. We feel a lot. I, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I do. We do. Feeling is good. It is, but it just... Thinking is like poop. Ah... I'm more of a thinker than a feeler. That's fair, but I feel like that's because society has taught you that's what you need to be. Like, all the great philosophers, like Aristotle and Wanky McWankface, they're just like, 
I have big thoughts and a tiny penis. Well, I am ENTJ, and so you're most likely got the F where the T is. True. Maybe. Probably. You're probably a feeler, not a thinker. Probably. It's like, do you have tiny philosopher dick syndrome, or do you have huge, humongous, higher self, big dick syndrome? Damn, coming for me. I (laughs) am an ENTJ. Like, I will... (laughs) God. Tiny philosopher dick syndrome. Damn. Tiny philosopher dick energy. Like the tiny dick that Adam has in the yeah. creation of Adam. We're also going to be doing a photo shoot in relation to that, so stay Ooh. tuned. Stay tuned. Tiny, tiny philosopher dick energy. Oh my god. Okay, thank you. Humongous higher self thank dick you. energy. Thank you, guys. <laughs> thank you for supporting. <laughs> I'm cutting it off here. I don't have tiny dick energy. <laughs> philosopher dick.